first, I just have to say how great it is to see so many of you here tonight. Some people I haven't seen in quite a while. Just so wonderful to be together in the sanctuary. Really wonderful. So, do you remember as a child or a teenager or a young adult when you had an uncomplicated view of leaders? People were either good or bad, none of this ambiguity stuff. We had heroes, and they were pure of heart and only did what was right. A good leader was wholly good, and a bad leader was completely evil. That makes the world so much simpler. You know who to like and who to disdain, who to vote for, and whose political sign you would like to rip from the ground. Perhaps there are a few people we could point to as saints or devils. But the truth is that most people, and this includes most political leaders now and through the ages, are much more complex. Like us, they are filled with a variety of ambitions, beliefs, and impulses. But perhaps unlike us, if they are in power, their foibles and misconceptions can have grave consequences. So perhaps this explains why, though we need political leaders, the Torah is wary of them. The Torah gives a lukewarm response to the idea of a national leader. In this week's Torah portion Shoftim, the focus turns to the subject of having a ruler for the new Israelite nation. God tells Moses to tell the people, quote, if after you have entered the land that the Lord your God has assigned to you and taken possession of it and settled in it, you decide, I will set a king over me as do all the nations about me. You shall be free to set a king over yourself, one chosen by the Lord your God. There are a few tip-offs here that so much power resting in one person may not be a great idea. First, this portion describes other societal roles as required. It tells us, for example, that we must have judges. You shall appoint judges and officials, begins our portion in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 18. And it goes on to say that we also are required to have priests and prophets, and it tells us what their roles should be. Only of the political office of monarch does it say, in a very wishy-washy way, that we can have a king if we want one. Only this role is optional. Perhaps that is an effort to downplay the importance of the position or to warn us that it can be very problematic. Also, we see that the text says, when you, meaning the people, will say, we want to be like the other nations and have a king Usually, Torah tells us to be unlike the other nations. The other nations are not viewed favorably. They are idol worshipers, 
and they don't have a Torah with words of wisdom to keep them on the right track. But here we are allowed to be like the other nations. In other words, God is making a concession to the Israelites' desire to be like others and have an earthly ruler. Having agreed to a political leader for the people, the Torah immediately tells us to put guardrails on this person. The Torah tends to be very clear-eyed about human nature. So, as the Jewish Publication Society Torah Commentary points out, we are warned in this portion about the tendency of rulers towards excess. The people are in essence told to make sure that the leader is not taxing them for his own benefit, but only for the enhancement of the greater good. The portion says that the king should not amass wives or horses or gold or silver. We can no doubt think of leaders today, I'm not asking for names, who we feel have lined their pockets with help from their political positions. Already thousands of years ago, our faith warns us to guard against this. In addition, the leader's power is to be limited to following the laws of the Torah. The ruler is to have their own copy of the Torah, or at least of Deuteronomy, and to refer to it frequently. The portion says that this person should be careful not to deviate from the instruction either to the right or to the left. While I certainly would not like to see us live in a theocracy today, I appreciate that here, already several thousand years ago, our tradition taught that a king or a ruler's power should not be absolute. Rather, it should be limited and guided by laws which the ruler did not him or herself create. This was revolutionary. And still today, we need to make sure that our political leaders are following the laws of the land. I think it would surprise most of us, and frankly most people, to realize that the idea of a constitutional monarchy really is first heard of in this Torah portion. While we don't talk a lot about most of the kings of Israel, their names and some aspects of their legacy are recorded in our Tanakh, our Bible, particularly in the books of, of Kings and Chronicles. If we look at the record of the Jewish kings, they turn out to be a mixed lot. Over the years, many fell prey to idolatry, despite the Torah's instruction to follow its laws and faith. Some of the leaders were downright inept. However, some are thought of as successful or good kings, such as David, Solomon, Hezekiah, and Josiah. But even these were flawed rulers who committed some major sins. David was an impressive military ruler who increased the size of Israel's land and who stayed committed to monotheism but he also committed adultery and saw to the death of his mistress's husband. Solomon was known for his wisdom, but he nonetheless indulged in the excesses that this very portion speaks against. He was said to have thousands of horses, 
and around a thousand wives and concubines. <laughs> Just a few. The Tanakh, <laughs> the Tanakh enshrines for posterity the good and the bad aspects of these legendary figures. Because it does so, we do not idolize leaders, but are able to see them more accurately as multidimensional. And we are reminded of the importance of limiting a leader's power. Another important teaching for our political leaders today is found in 1 Kings. Here, advice on leadership is offered to King Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son and the last monarch of the United Kingdom. The people were imploring him to reduce taxes and lighten the load on them that was produced by his father Solomon's many projects. Rehoboam asked his advisors what he should do, and they advised him, saying, quote, if today you will be a servant to the people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Rehoboam failed to follow this advice, and the kingdom split in two. This gives us a clear picture of one important aspect of being a leader. The person should view him or herself as serving the people, not the other way around. As Rabbi Jonathan Sachs notes, this is an incredible transformation from how kings and royalty have generally been seen. Rabbi Sachs writes, the radical nature of this transformation can be seen by recalling the two great architectural symbols of the world's first empires, the Mesopotamian ziggurats and the Egyptian pyramids. Both are monumental statements in stone of a hierarchical society, broad at the base, many people, leading up to the narrow top. The people at the bottom, that large base, are there to support the leader. But think about it. The great Jewish symbol, the menorah, inverts that triangle. Instead, it is narrow at the base and broad at the top. The leader is there to serve the people. While we don't today have kings in the United States, we do have political leaders. And it won't be long till we will be going to the polls to pick our next leaders. We often choose based on how we think these candidates will vote on issues, and that is indeed very important. But our tradition teaches us some other considerations for picking political leaders. May we look for leaders who are law-abiding, humble, and who deserve to serve, sorry, who desire to serve the people. Amen. Amen.